0: Strange clown sightings reported in multiple locations across the country, New Bedford featured on Ghost Hunters, and a whole bunch more to talk about on this, a YouTube-only edition, episode 470 of Spooky South Coast starts right now. South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and we are broadcasting live on YouTube. That's right. We are broadcasting on Spooky TV on YouTube. Uh, The Red Sox are taking over our normal time slot on the WBSM airwaves, so we are broadcasting solely over the YouTube airwaves. I think I got that all set up now. That's good. Uh, We were... (laughs) Going through the usual uh setup and everything, and I still haven't gotten the hang of it. I still have to figure out exactly how to do this correctly on my end. Matt Koss is doing a fantastic job. He's running from computer to computer, closing doors, turning off fans. He is making things happen. He's getting punchy from all these punching all these buttons. But meanwhile, I'm like, meow, 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 meow. this one's green, I mean. this one's red. We're getting it. We're getting it. So, why do I have a feeling like
1: that's a little? Uh, in, inside information right there, right, the meep, behind meep, the, meep, behind stuff, closed doors. I yeah. got a
0: feeling that's going to be the new uh, YouTube clip for this week. <laughs>
1: it might be. It might be.
0: <laughs> well, I, I can tell you this much. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, you can call in during the show tonight at any point, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. I'm just going to spin the phone around. Hold on. Because of the glare, I couldn't see hmm. if, if the light, if the phone lines were lighting up. And it doesn't always show up on my computer screen. So we talk about the paranormal here each and every Saturday night, normally on the WBSM airwaves, but we also do it here on the YouTube channel as well. And you can talk about the show right there in the chat room. If you look on the YouTube channel, you can see the live chat right there. We also have the hashtag SpookyLive, which you can use even though we're not on the radio right now. And that means we can we can work a little blue if we want to, because we're not on the radio. So if we you know we, we could, to, but we're classy guys. If we want to drop a couple of billy bombs, <laughs> which is what we're going to call them now, uh, if we want to drop a couple of billy bombs, we could. But uh, you know, we're going to try and respect the rules of broadcasting, because that's what we do. As Matt said, we're professionals. And a little <laughs> bit later on, we're going to talk about some of those weird clown sightings that have been happening all over the country. We're going to try and see if we can get Chris Balzano to join us. I know he's got some things going on tonight, but hopefully he can join us at some point. Uh, but we do have a lot of stuff to talk about tonight, that's for sure. A lot of strange, unusual things going on in the world, including the fact that this past week there was a national focus on New Bedford when Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman was featured on this week's episode of Ghost Hunters. Now, those of you who listened to this program for a number of years, you know, by the way, thank you for keeping us on the air for over 10 years now, but you know that we have frequently investigated Fort Tabor at Fort Rodman. We've had a couple of events there, and uh, we've always had activity. I've had some of my most profound experiences, especially in Battery Milliken, which were referenced and discussed on Ghost Hunters this week because I gave them all that information. They didn't ask me to come down and film. They didn't want me on camera, apparently. They're like, nah, we've seen you. You're a goofy bastard. I'm like, we're we're going to take the other person from Spooky South Coast, the one that's actually like okay to look at. And uh, Matt Moniz was he, there. <laughs> no, he he was not there, uh, of course. Stephanie Burke was uh, was featured on Ghost Hunters this week. Uh That's the reason why she's not here tonight. Because she's like, no, I can't right, go. I can't go to the right. station because <laughs> people are going to know that I'll be there. And I mean, having to fight our way through all the all the fans outside was hard enough for us, you know, so (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. She had something else going on. Just teasing her. Uh, But uh, she was, you know, sharing her stories and her experiences there. But I have to say, like, it's one thing when you get involved with being part of a television filming, you know, uh, when when Moniz and I went down and did Ghost Adventures, Lizzie Borden House. When we filmed Ghost Lab, but, you know, an entire day's worth of footage all ended up on the cutting room floor. And when we've done things like uh, what's it, most terrifying places in America and Moniz was on Monsters and Mysteries in America and the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, all these things that we've been part of over the years. It's always been us sharing our own stories and us sharing our own beliefs and ideas and theories about what it is that we encountered and that kind of stuff. This is the first time that I've ever seen something that happened to me be investigated by somebody else on TV, if you get what I mean. You know, it's one thing like when you see Zach Bagans, like, you know, trying to taunt the spirit at Lizzie Borden's house to get it to push him like it pushed me. But it's really, like, it's it's very surreal to see the crew from TAPS walking through Battery Milliken looking for the shimmering man or looking for uh the the same sound of the of the roof caving in on them that was kind of strange and un, unreal for me so i'm thinking that that probably happens a lot to people who share this information with these tv shows and and share it with me when i'm working on tv shows uh, as a writer and a researcher and they're giving me all this information and then they go and they see their story investigated so it was kind of weird. I, I guess if you asked me in 2004, before we'd even started doing the show, uh, and I started coming out of the paranormal closet, so to speak, if you asked me, you know, what what would be kind of the most surreal thing that could happen to you with your interest in the paranormal, I would say, somehow being on Ghost Hunters. Because that was what was... You know, the the, the launch of all this paranormal interest. So that would kind of be like the weirdest connection. And then, of course, over the years, we ended up becoming friends with all the people on the show and provided information about certain cases and all that stuff. But this, I guess, would be kind of that full circle moment. And it's kind of weird that it happened in the last season of Ghost Hunters. You know, that like we've kind of made that full circle turnaround. Does this sound like I'm like blowing my own horn quite a bit here? No. I don't right. think so. Because I'm I'm just trying to like put it in perspective as to what it's like um, for those out there who it probably is a little surreal for people.
1: I mean, I can. Only I mean, I mean alone just to see like if if you are, um, say you do an investigation on a regular basis somewhere, some like almost like a, a Lizzie Bourne, but not not as uh, renowned, I guess. Right. And then it have it be featured on like a Ghost Hunters or. Some sort of TV show. What if it's, it's like, your own house? It's almost like seeing your, um like, a relative or something at uh, in the background of a baseball game or, like, an extra on a TV, TV right, show. Yeah. You get all excited.
0: You're like, oh, oh pause oh, it, right pause it, there, 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 there he right, is. But, I mean, I, I suppose, like, in the first couple of seasons of Ghost Hunters, when they actually did private cases, I mean, that must have been even more surreal for people because, like, now they're seeing their own house on TV. And I know I don't even like seeing my own house, like, in a, Picture I put on Facebook or something. I'll be like, uh, no, I'm gonna go stand in front of that white wall over there because I, you know, I don't want any rec, I don't want any recognizable features in my house because I don't want people to know where I live. That's why people are always like, oh, when you do those, I used to do those Tim in the Truck videos for WBSM. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, where do you do those? I'm like, away from, as far away from my house as I can. <laughs> Cause I don't want people figuring out where I live. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's bad enough when you people never like, figure you out never your phone know. number. So the, um The episode turned out pretty well, I thought. I mean, some people who are fans of Ghost Hunters uh, said, you know, not one of the better episodes. But I would disagree. I mean, I haven't watched I've only watched the show once in the last couple of years prior to this. And that was the episode at the Stadium Theater because I knew we were doing an evening of Ghost Stories and New England Legends at the Stadium Theater last fall. And I knew I would be covering the Stadium Theater story as one of the stories I was telling. So I wanted to see what experiences they had. And see if that would kind of play into the narrative of what I was building for that story. But other than that, I haven't watched an episode. It hasn't really changed much at all in terms of format. I mean, it's pretty much set up the same. They've changed the graphics package a little bit. They've changed some of the music a little bit. But more or less, it's, you know, the same beats to the story. And I'm glad. I'm glad that it was what I was expecting in terms of that because I got to kind of not worry about what was going on in terms of the structure of the episode and just kind of put myself into how are they portraying Fort or Fort Rodman, and how are they portraying Battery Milliken in the military museum. And I thought they did a fantastic job of relating those stories. A few little details that, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit of the telephone game a lot of these times when they're dealing with these locations because the people who run the location hear stories from people who investigate it, and then they're the ones that are passing on that information to the TV show producers. So you've already, you know, unless you're getting it directly from the person that it happened to, sometimes some of the stuff gets muddied up a little bit. Sometimes some of the stuff gets misrepresented, but not necessarily on purpose. And and, and I know that one of the issues was the story of the woman, not the girl, who fell off the second floor of Fort Tabor, uh, Fort Rodman. And uh, they misrepresented it as she was actually chasing a shadow person. I think that's the information they were provided by the people involved with the fort and the military museum. And I think it was kind of just probably the mashing up of one story with another because in actuality, she just went to go step downstairs and she was not at the stairs. So, but, uh, that, that kind of stuff can happen. And that's why you have to be hyper aware of that. I'm kind of almost not upset that they got that wrong though, <laughs> because, uh, you know, it, it does put kind of the focus on the activity a little bit too. And in the back of my mind, as a person who leads people through events and leads people through haunted places that have the possibility for danger, I almost like the fact that they've now left that out there as a story that will make people think twice about what they're doing as they're doing it. You know, as I, as I said on the radio this morning, anybody listening to the to the morning show, don't go in battery Milliken. it's dangerous. Don't sneak in. It's illegal. But even if you did get to go in there, there's a lot of holes you could fall in. There's a lot of rusty iron that's sticking out of the ground and a lot of ways to get hurt and to hurt yourself. And if this story that they were telling this way that they were portraying this incident comes across as keeping safety in the back of somebody's mind when they are exploring the fort on the occasion that it is open and they let you in. Then I suppose that's you know that's not a bad thing, if it's going to make people stay hyper aware. But uh, the certainly Battery Milliken was the star of that show, was the star of that episode. It's the star of every investigation we've done. The city of New Bedford continues to drag their feet on any kind of restoration efforts in there. I told this story this morning that it was ridiculous to me that the last time I was in there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm seeing a town, a uh, city of New Bedford employee in Milliken. Painting the walls. Painting over the graffiti that's on the walls. Okay. But the fences weren't fixed. Well, I, I feel like that
1: would not be a priority. Especially if so, you're not going to fix the fences. there's no lights, lights in there. It's not like you can take a tour because but, it's st- there's still junk around. To, it's still not safe to... They still to, won't allow people in. Right. I
0: mean, who, who are they charging up for? The people but, who live there... But you're painting the walls, but you're not securing the premises. So people are just going to get in and spray graffiti again. Mm-hmm. So you just create, I mean, I, I looked at the guy and I said, is there really nothing else for you to do? Is there nothing better they could be spending that money on than painting over graffiti that they're just going to come back and replace with more graffiti? I'd rather see them fortify the entrances, make it so that people can't sneak in,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which wouldn't be entirely impossible. I mean, the problem is they keep putting up chain link. And anybody can get through Chainlink if they want to. Right. You know, it's stone. It's a stone fort. If you install iron gates through that stone, people aren't going to be able to rip those stone gates off. I mean, rip those iron gates off. You know, you're going to be able to actually have some security over it. Now, I understand there's different parts of it that are crumbling, and it's hard to kind of fortify all of it. But at least you could cut down seriously on people trying to get in. Then you can work on cleaning up the inside. But until you secure the outside, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to get the inside to ever stay clean and ready. The other issue is the old artillery rail system that they used to use to deliver the artillery to the cannons is all rotting out. It's all falling down, and all that has to be removed before anybody can actually go in there safely. Mm -hmm. At least that's what the city told us when we had our event there last year. That would not be that impossible to either, A, remove or, B, secure. But they have to put the money into it. Right, right. I've heard rumors that the problem is the city doesn't want to sink money into it because, as it stands, they can't turn it into anything else but what it is. And they don't want to restore a fort. I mean, they can't turn it – why Why?
1: Why is um turning it into a museum or something that could be t- – I'm not exactly sure. Is the um the, the fort itself can is are there tours inside the fort or is it just an outside
0: They only do they only do inside tours on certain events for certain certain days mm-hmm. of the year. So they only open it a, on a handful of times. It used to only be open twice a year during reenactments. Now they've started doing like the Pirate Weekend and a couple of other things, you know, our paranormal events, different things where they'll actually open up the fort doors. But the the problem is is the rumors that I'm hearing Is that the interest in that area, in that whole peninsula, that whole point, is not on maintaining and restoring the fort. It's on turning it into something completely different, something commercial. Hmm. So, which I think would be terrible. Uh, I think that as the owners and as the custodians and the stewards of that property, the city has a responsibility to respect the history of it. Right. It's a beautiful fort. It's it's a great park. Mm Mm-hmm. You need that park as part of the city. Well, thats I, I don't
1: want to get too involved in uh, New Bedford politics, but, I mean, I know they charge for parking. They do have a beach there. They charge people for parking. Yes. Where where does that money go? Where Why doesn't that get synced back into the beautification of the fort or turn, turning that into more of a destination for people?
0: I mean, these are certainly questions that we could ask the mayor's office. Uh, the... My assumption would be that it goes into, you know, some sort of general fund, some sort of public mm-hmm. works fund that isn't earmarked specifically for the fort. Uh, Where the only real way you can see your money in action at the fort is to make a donation to the military museum. And there's still a lot of work they want to do just on Fort Rodman proper, too. They want to be able to clear those upper levels out and fortify those upper 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 levels uh, they've started putting in some railings so that people can't fall over the side. Uh, they've started making the staircases safer. Eventually, they'd like to have the entire top cleaned up and repaired so that people could actually access the very top of the fort, so that people could access the lighthouse. Uh, I went up to the top of the lighthouse. It was pretty dangerous. Um There's a lot of work that needs to be done there to be able to let people get up into that. Uh, there's the smaller batteries. Uh, of course there's Battery Walcott and I forget the name of the other battery, but the two that are between the, the pier and, and, and the mm-hmm. fort. Those have always kind of been up, uh, open and restored over the last, you know, years. But, uh, recently in recent years, they've also dug out and cleared out the batteries that are on the way to Milliken. So now those are all unearthed and cleaned up. So you can go and explore those when for the longest time those were covered with brush. Mm-hmm. And there's work they could do to Milliken. I think the, the the key now is they like to keep Milliken as covered as they can because there's no way to keep people out of it. Right. There,
1: there was a good point in the chat room um, saying that now that it, it, that it was featured on Ghost Hunters, maybe there will be more of a spotlight put on it.
0: You know, here's the problem with that. It goes both ways. The fact that it was featured on television and it's now become a destination point for people you would think that the obvious answer is, wow, we can we can make some tourism money off of that. Mm-hmm. But we've been telling the city for five, six, seven, eight years now that they can make money off of it, and they just don't care. Because in their eyes, the risk outweighs the reward. Mm-hmm. The safety aspects outweigh whatever revenue they can get in.
1: I mean, do you think there's, with this episode... uh um, being premiered, there's going to be a negative influence it of all go, the people, it, absolutely. all the people going breaking in there now. Uh, it can go the so, other way more so because I've heard of a lot of people, um, breaking in there, basically breaking in there, and not that it's hard to break well, in, but walking there. in, right. right? And um, in doing their own
0: investigations now, you think it's going to be a lot more prominent? I I guarantee you that the night that that show aired, I I, I don't have any statistics, I don't have any of the police log in front of me. Um, I probably should have called just to find out, just so I'm not talking out of my ass here, but I guarantee you the night that that show aired, the police had to go down there and remove people from from Battery Milliken. I believe it, yeah. there's It, it, it had to have happened. Or at the very least, they should have been down there because I'm sure people were in there after that episode. I'm sure people watched that at 9 o'clock, mm-hmm. and by 10.30 they were down there and they were exploring Milliken. The other problem with it is, too... Somebody has to be there to supervise it if you're going to allow it to happen. You can't just keep it wide open and be like, people can go in there and explore any time they want. You have to keep it open. You have to keep it regulated. As I said, you know, um uh, I, I kind of put this out facetiously on Facebook, but at the end of the episode, I said, you know, cue every paranormal team and researcher trying to get into uh Battery Melican in 321 because – they're going to get inundated with requests from groups now. I was seeing it before the episode even aired. Groups were contacting me, asking me like, hey, we're you know we're doing a YouTube project. Can you help us get in there so we can film? And as anybody knows, money talks. I mean, these TV shows aren't just asking for permission to get into these places. They're paying location fees to be able to get in. If another TV show came, you know, let's just say, for example... I don't know. We'll we'll pick Amy and, and Adam's new show, Kindred Spirits, that debuts this fall on Destination America. Say they're getting ready for the next season, and even though it's not connected at all to the subject matter that they're covering, they're dealing with, you know, people who are haunted by family members. But let's just say they said we want to go film at Fort Tabor. Mm-hmm. Then the city could look at that and say, well, we can make another two, three, four, five thousand dollars off the location fee. And plus all the permitting that has to get involved and all that stuff. Or they can look at it and be like, no, we don't want any more people trying to get in there because of what happened after it was on Ghost Hunters. We discovered for ghost stalkers, we discovered a, a prison in Philadelphia that was untouched in terms of paranormal research. This was the sister prison to Eastern State Penitentiary. It's called Holmesburg Prison. And the stories that came out of this place were incredible. There was a riot there. The warden was killed in his office. Uh There was a lot of different deaths that took place. There was experimentation that was done on the prisoners where people died. There was a lot of negative uh stuff that had happened there. And when Chad and John investigated it, they had incredible experiences there. And there was not a lot of dancing to try to get into that prison for filming of Ghost Stalkers. The person who was in charge of the prisons, she had no problem giving me information as much as she could, as much as she had. She had no problem giving me the home phone numbers of of guards and and former wardens who were retired. And I spent hours on the phone with these people. Some of them didn't even make it into the show, and and some of the information they gave me didn't even make it into the show. But everybody was very forthcoming with information about what happened there and stories and personal anecdotes. And even if they never had a paranormal experience, I knew – as I was crafting the, the, the script for that episode, as I was craft, crafting the, the history of that episode, I felt like I knew everything about the place. And I, ha- I just had this feeling that once this episode aired, Holmesburg would be just as much of a destination as Eastern State Penitentiary. In fact, apparently the, the saying, being sent up the river when you go to prison, had to do with those two prisons because they were, they were down the river from each other. Oh, really? And they would use the river as a way to transport the prisoners. But anyway, so the – basically, I'm thinking, you know, Ghost is going to make Holmesburg the next star location. So the episode airs. um, It's met with a lot of positive reaction from the viewers anyway. Ghost Asylum is asking me to find them some East Coast locations, and they're interested in Holmesburg. And I tell them, well, Holmesburg's a great place, great story, great history. You know, you guys have a different approach than Chad and John had. I think this could work. I contact the prisons, remembering how easily and, and willing this woman was, uh, was willing to work with me on, on crafting that episode. And the response I got was, they had such a terrible experience from the first time that they don't, they're not interested I said, "Well, what happened? I wasn't there for the filming. What happened? What 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 did they do that made you feel like it was such a terrible experience?" And she was like, "Oh no, no, no! The the cast and the crew, when they came to film, were fantastic. Everybody was great. It's everything that's happened since then. Being inundated with requests from people wanting to get in, people sneaking in, people harassing those who still work there as security guards, it was just it was a bad situation. And I think that that's part of what could happen." With something like Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman now. And, you know, Frank Grace is in, is in the chat room and he's talking about it. This is a, a problematic thing for the entire city. They have other locations that they could invest in, that they could put into, but they don't. And I don't want to turn this into something that is, you know, putting one thing over another. But we're saying we don't have the kind of money to restore these historical treasures that can be tourism points for the city, but yet we can give people their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, twelfth dose of Narcan. I'm not saying we should put these buildings and these structures above a person's life. But you can also prioritize a little bit, too. I mean, you can also say enough's enough in in one area and... It is important to hang on to the history. I actually got into an argument with a regular caller this morning who was telling me that tourism would be a huge thing for the city and that that's why they should invest in refurbishing Battery Milliken and Fort Rodman. But I had to tell them the awful truth. Even though I'm a lover of history and of historical locations, the awful truth is that's just not true. They're not money makers. In fact, one of the only aspects of tourism that is actually bringing in money and interest right now is the haunted side of things. Mm-hmm. Having these ghost tours, having these paranormal events, it's one of the only things that actually brings in revenue for a lot of these, especially these heritage museums that we see out there. You know, like the whatever house built in 18-whatever. You know, they... This, the paranormal side of things is bringing them more interest and more revenue than they've ever had because people don't want to go to these places anymore to just go take a daytime tour part of it is if you want to find out anything about it you just go on the internet You, I wonder what it looks like you know I've read right. about the whole history of this place I wonder what it looks like boom 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 Google Maps Street View there you go <laughs> photos Instagram all this stuff You get everything that you need so you don't actually have to get off your ass and go out there and experience it for yourself. And that's both good and bad. I mean, look at the virtual reality stuff. You know, eventually people are going to... Listen, I think that uh, Destination America did a fan... And I'm not just saying this because they're one of my employers. They did a fantastic job of building that VR ghost hunt with the Tennessee Wraith Chasers that they released through their app. If you... Throw that on Google Cardboard, you feel like you were there. You feel like you were investigating right alongside those guys. And if we can create that type of experience for people to go and take a tour of someplace, then why would they leave? Why would they need to be there? The paranormal is the one thing that you have to be there to experience. You have to be there in person to experience it. Just watching it on TV or, 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 Through virtual reality is not going to be enough. Nope. So embrace this. It's one of the only, it's one of the only things that we have left to keep this current generation of society connected to that historical past.
1: Right. And I mean, it's interesting and it's interactive as opposed to, I mean, I've been on uh, tours of historic places. They kind of, they just let you roam around sometimes they don't necessarily know what is even in the building and some of the stuff that's in the building isn't even historic to that building it was just donated to whatever historical society so it wasn't even necessarily from that house
0: um, but you've also you've been there with us when we've gone and taken tours of places in preparation for an event uh trying to decide if we want to have an event there or if we are having an event um you, you know, we're mm. we're trying to get the logistics right before we go into it. You've been there during during those tours, and you've heard the the spiel from the people that are involved. It's it's there's no impact. It's cool. Like you're like, wow, this place is awesome. It's really cool, but there's no connection and there's no impact until you're there. Right on the investigation. There's no. Um.
1: I mean, it's not. It's hard to, um, I guess, sell it as something exciting.
0: I mean, the thing is, people don't understand that history is a living thing. So people don't understand that. I'm trying to put this in a way where it's not kind of condescending in any way, but what's happened in the past is in the past. The only way that it's going to be part of your reality is if you go there and experience it for yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you can read about it. In any, like, look at Washington, D.C. You can read about it in any book and have an idea of what it's all about. But when you go there, mm-hmm. there's a feeling around it. There's a an atmosphere if you are in some place important. And, you know, you can't believe that when you're standing in the, in the, you know, the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol that just a few feet away... All the decisions for the country are being made, and you're standing out there, you know, looking up at the ceiling and looking at all right. the, the w- you wondering, know,
1: wondering where the hard rock, hard rock cafe is.
0: I was, uh, <laughs> I was actually trying to figure out where to go to the bathroom in there. Oh. that was that was my issue.
1: Well, that's because you have a thing about.
0: I do. Yeah. I I try to go in as many public places <laughs> as I can. Yeah, uh, I'm at the White House. Gotta go take a dump. Hey. But. uh <laughs> Who who takes a dump in the White House? Presidents and me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but those are some of the uh, those are some of the the things that I feel are lost unless you go there and experience it for yourself. You know, you're not going to get the feel, and you're not going to mm-hmm. get the connection. I mean,
1: uh, a paranormal investigation is almost like an interactive interactive history.
0: Ab- absolutely, and it's also. It can't – you know, it's not in a vacuum. You're not just walking into a place that is devoid of character. You're surrounded by the character of that place. And I think that's kind of key as to where these – why these places are haunted, because it's retaining some of that character. I I think this is probably a debate that we've – a discussion that we could have about a lot of different locations – but it it you can just go and look back at a place and see where it's become a revenue stream and where it's become a success for them now sometimes that leads to overexposure of places too you know every paranormal show has been to eastern state every paranormal show has been to uh penhurst
1: right but i mean historical historic locations get over saturated they get they get they get touristy to the point where people don't want to go i mean like it's kind of like when you go to New York City. It's kind of hokey to go to the Statue of Liberty, right? Or San Francisco, Alcatraz is kind of because I thought it was kind of cool to go, but then I, when I went, there's like just a million people.
0: You you went to Alcatraz? I did. That's I did. pretty awesome.
1: I, I mean, it was it was pretty cool, but then it's it's like there's a bunch of people running around like with headphones in the ears, taking the same like audio tour that you're taking, right? I don't know. It just kind of took took it. Uh, took it away from everything, I and And that's... I'm oh, sorry. It's just... It's just. Uh, I mean, I think anything can be oversaturated to the point where it's hokey and touristy.
0: But that's one of the good things about the paranormal side of, of tourism, uh, about dark tourism, is that you are... There, there's nothing there to take you out of the history. That's the whole reason why you're there. And you're, you have to be enveloped by it, and you have to be... In the depths of it, or else it's pointless what you're even trying to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's really stupid if you're going to go to a paranormal location. And, and I understand the fact that, you know, we can, we can debate whether, you know, who haunts where and, and what energies can come through and what places and all that stuff. But, you know, what's the point of going to a tavern that was built in 1690? If you're going to just walk in and be like, is there any spirits here from any time, from any era that want to communicate? You know, you don't want to go to this tavern that was built in 1690 and say, "I want to sit down and talk to my grandmother who passed away last year." Hmm. You know, there's other places and other times for doing that. You want to be able to go there and and make a connection with the spirits that were there. And to do that, you know, part of that is you want it to look as much as like it did back then. So if you're walking into a falling apart Battery Milliken, yes, it looks awesome. Yes, it looks creepy. It looks great on television it looks great when you're trying to sell people on the idea that this place could be haunted and it looks really spooky and creepy, but it's probably not the optimal conditions to try and engage the spirits that could be there. You know, they're going to want it to be similar to what they remember, Mm -hmm. especially if you think that spirits are not tied to a place and, and ghosts have the ability to move freely around and they just choose what places they want to remain behind and stay connected to. Well, if you serve there, why would you want to stay you know, uh, connected to it, if it's falling apart and covered in graffiti and the only thing it's really being used for now is a place for crackheads to take shelter and for teenagers to go and drink and have sex. Right. All of which, by the way, we've seen while we're there. So, I don't know, it, it's... That alone is worth the price of permission. <laughs> that's why we, that's why we get what we do for tickets. But the, the, the problem is, is that we don't have I think as a society, we don't have respect for that. You know, we're more about can we put TVs over the toilets, uh, so that we can, you know, watch TMZ while we're taking a leak as compo, as opposed to how do we preserve this and how do we keep this alive for other generations to enjoy? And it's funny because when you're talking about something like a fort, you want to think to yourself, well, I'm glad we don't feel the need to defend Clark's point anymore. You know, I'm glad that, you know, there's no longer Confederate ships parked outside of the harbor that we have to worry about them coming and attacking us. So in a way, yes, it's obsolete. In a way, yes, we don't need it anymore. And it would probably more be more economically viable to just clear that entire area and put a yacht club there
1: mm-hmm.
0: or build that entire area and put high-rise condominiums or whatever else you want to build there. Or even just take down the stone fort and say, now we have more park space. Or we can put in another parking lot for people to use the beach. Whatever. It's probably better to do that, but that doesn't make it right.
1: Put a giant bosomy
0: seagull. <laughs> we, need, we need a bigger version of seagull Cinderella. Right. Which, uh, if you're not familiar, if you're listening to this show from anywhere else around the world, just Google New uh, Bedford seagull Cinderella. Let's
1: see if I can pull up a picture.
0: I'm sure you can. You you have the resources. You can use the ones right from the WBSM website because then we won't run into any copyright issues. Uh, but and here's a here's a great point from from Anna in the chat room. We would lose our souls if we did that, and that would suck. And I agree with that. That is kind of the problem. That is the issue is that we we will sometimes be willing to compromise some of that. Look at Wareham, for example. For those of you who have been to some of our events at at the Faring Tavern and at the you know the buildings owned by the Wareham Historical Society, everybody asks the same question why can't we get into that nail factory over there? right? Well, because the buildings that we investigate, if we want to get into all the politics of everything, The buildings that we investigate are owned by the Wareham Historical Society, so they can give us carte blanche to do whatever we want inside their buildings. The Tremont Nail Factory has come under the ownership of the town of Wareham. Whole different ball of wax in trying to get into there. The town has had to invest a significant amount of money replacing the roof on that nail factory just to be able to look at any kind of future use for the site. The problem is they have no idea what they want to do with it. There's been rumors of everything from turning it into a train station, uh, if the commuter rail was eventually going to come in. It looks like now, you know, with the fly, the what's the the Cape Flyer train station, you know, they think that that would be all that they need. so There'd be no need to, to expand that at all. Uh, what were some of the other rumors and theories that were going to happen? there? they were going to build like a little artist colony over there.
1: Right. There's going to be um, elderly housing. Then it was going to going to be a um, a place for um kayaks and people on like um day boating trips and things like
0: that has like a launching dock they were going to have uh they were going to have like studio space for artists and our, and cra- you know they were going to have like indoor craft fairs which, and which are all great ideas but none of them are right
1: no none of them fit the but what it it should be i don't know it well, should my, be that's i guess I'm, that's a matter of opinion but
0: i mean it should be because it's still standing It should be preserved Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because it has a cultural and historical impact. I don't think every historical building needs to be saved. If there's a house that was built in 1810 and it's falling apart and it's dangerous and it's going to be too much money to repair, tear the sucker down and build a new house. Right. I understand that. But if you have something that is culturally significant and has historic value and isn't that far gone, and if the possibility of allowing people to continue visiting it can outweigh the cost of refurbishing it, then to me it's a no-brainer. But maybe I just don't live in the real world anymore. Maybe I don't live in the world of today where people just don't want to fork out that couple of extra dollars. I don't know. I'm just uh, sending Chris a message because he's coming in. Da, da, da. Typey, type, type, Typey, type 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 type, type. <laughs> that's the that's the more relaxed version of the show where right. we don't have to take breaks and be like well, we're like, gonna set this up I can be like yeah Chris, you're listening just call and no uh, we'll have you come in we'll have you come on uh but one of the um one of the most troubling aspects I think of the ghost hunters featuring mm-hmm. fort Tabor fort Rodman... Is I think that we're going to get hit now with an. And I was seeing it during the show. I mean, people were sharing their YouTube videos and and things that they'd written and, and, uh, you know, uh, pictures and all that stuff. They were sharing it with the cast of Ghost Hunters, you know, tweeting it out to them, putting their names in it, and being like, here's what happened when my team went in. Here's what happened when my. And like, this is all illegal. This was all trespassing. Right. Because you didn't have permission to go to this to go into there. You you didn't have I know that you didn't because I talked to the people in the military museum and I know everybody that's ever had permission to get in. Right. And they've actually asked me that if I see a video that comes across, can I let them know? Because they can apparently they can still try to prosecute, I don't know. But they can at least send them letters saying yeah. don't ever come in here again, you're trespassing. <laughs> right, exactly. Now I refuse to do that because I'm not going to be the paranormal rat. Right, you
1: don't want to be a snitch. But I mean, you should go through the proper channels, like.
0: Exactly, and when some, when one person doesn't go through the proper channels to do something, Mm -hmm. it makes it so much harder for all of us to get permission. Right, and if they tell you no, you have to respect it. Oh, and that's- I mean,
1: it doesn't mean you can't keep trying. But, I mean, just respect their wishes and- Uh.
0: I'm I'm just going to bring in our, our show's content director Chris Balzano into this discussion because uh, you know I know that he'll have some some things to to add to this. But I will say that it drives me crazy that there are paranormal teams and researchers out there who will blast others who get permission and access to places because they never have. One of the things that people always love to to point out is the fact that you know legend trips would get access to places that other teams and investigators wouldn't be allowed to. And they couldn't just understand the concept of the fact that we are doing this as a fundraiser for the place. We are doing this to bring in money and revenue for them for restoration and to keep the place alive. It's not like we're just asking for, you know, 14 people to be allowed in on a Friday night and we promise we'll clean up after ourselves. And that's where it's lost on people is, you know, there, there has to be a mutual benefit to this. Chris, you and I have debated this quite a bit. We've done episodes of Spooky Crossroads about this. We've talked about it on our own time, just between ourselves. If you have a haunted location, do you have an obligation to let people investigate it?
2: I don't think that you do. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, and I think that, you know, Katie and John are a great example of this. I'm not sure if you touched upon that in this discussion already, but you know, I mean, there there are people who let people into the house and maybe got a little bit out of control, but I'm also like maybe riled some things up, which is maybe good if you're talking about a haunted location such as you know the USS Salem or the Fort Tabor. But I mean, I think overall, you have no obligation just because something is haunted to have people go and investigate. And Sometimes it's better if you just keep it small between people that you trust, people that you know are doing it for the right reasons. Um, people who you know, probably more than doing it for the right reasons, do it the right way. Um, and that's really kind of snobby sounding. But, you know, you want to keep ultimately the integrity of your location if it's not just designed to be a haunted location.
0: Well, and that's the, the biggest thing that people don't understand is that, you know, a place like the Mark Twain House, um, a place like – Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman, a place like the Faring Tavern. These places don't exist to solely be paranormal hotspots. You know, it's different when you're looking at something like the SK Pierce Mansion. Uh, you know, they they want that to be what it's known for. They want that to be its primary use. Um, and and you can say that for a handful of other places. You know, the Veliska Axe Murder House is a place where you know it's all about the paranormal there. Uh, the Farrar School. There's a lot of places where, uh, Waverly Hills, you know, the, the, the paranormal is a main, major focus. But for a lot of them, it's kind of like they're nice enough to let us come and play in their, in their historic museums for a little while.
2: Right. Right. And they've got, you know, other stuff to, to, um, to, to do. <laughs> they've got other and stuff that's their, that's their draw. They've got other stuff. You know, it, it for some reason reminds me of the old, Pete Townsend quote when they were asking him about, you know, all his friends dying and losing. He's like, you know, they might have been your icons, but they were my friends. Like, they might be our paranormal spots, but they're their historical places. They're their historical houses. They're um, they're supposed to be a link to the, to the past, and sometimes when they then become um, paranormally connected, um, that seems to overwhelm it, and that seems to be what it's all about, and for some places, that's not where they want to be.
0: And, and and they are serving different masters because a lot of times these places, you know, if you're the common paranormal researcher will look at some place and say, you know, well, whatever. The rest of the time, it's just sitting there. You know, people aren't coming and taking tours. It's just sitting there. They don't realize that even these, you know, these heritage museums, these smaller places even, are part of a grander um I don't want to say organization because there's no official name or acronym for it, but it's part of a grander network of people who are sharing information and sharing research. You know, there's curators for these places. There's people who work 40 hours a week dedicated to researching the history of this and how it connects to other historical places. And it's it's very much, you know, uh, something that even if it becomes a paranormal hotspot, it's still always only going to be a small percentage of, of what it's there
2: for. Right. And yet, because of the 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 sexiness factor and because of the um, internet push behind it, that becomes what it is. And that's not really what it is, but that's become that's become becomes what it is to the outside world. The
0: uh, there's a a point that was brought up by Corey in the chat room on YouTube, and he said, uh, you know, the ghost thing won't always be as popular as it is now. You base the location of the paranormal off the paranormal. What happens when the ghost thing is replaced with another fad. I don't know though if if that's first of all, I mean it, it it's it's probably at the point where it should be waning already, and it doesn't really seem to be in terms of people wanting to explore that on a personal level. Uh it may wane a little bit in terms of there won't be as many T V shows about it. You know, maybe there'll be uh thirty five hundred Blog talk radio shows this week <laughs> instead of uh, forty five hundred but it's 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 not going to ever be at the point anymore where it'll where it'll completely uh, go back under the radar i think I think that the 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 box has been opened and it will always stay out there for a, a segment of the population just because of the fact that we're all connected differently now than we were the last time there was a paranormal boon but i I think that even if interest in the paranormal wanes, even if these shows stop being on television, it's still always going to be a pretty viable option for these places for tourism dollars.
2: I mean, I I think that there were some places who, um, even before the the, the most recent boom, still kind of um, tapped into the paranormal. You know, I mean, that was... You know, I'm talking when I first started in the, in the in the mid and late '90s. There were plenty of places. The Breakers, for example, um, in in Newport, like they advertised that these places were haunted because they wanted the the money from the haunted tours that would go through that. And then people would, you know, like that, and then they would come back to the normal tour. And so, you know, it, it's not as if these things weren't uh, haunted before. And it's not as if there was a segment of the population who was tapping into that. So I, I think even if the even if the major part of this paranormal stuff goes away, and and I'm not sure, like you're saying, I'm not sure it's going to you know ever the pendulum's ever going to swing to nothingness. Um, that I think that those kind of places, ghost tours within local towns, uh, you know, the, the the haunted house that converts itself to a real haunted house, but it's advertising that. This is a haunted house that we've actually just turned into one, fun one, but it does have a history. Um, And then, of course, you know, there'll always be those places that are in the neighborhood that people assume are haunted houses. And some people have kind of embraced that part of of their house's mystique. So I, I really don't see it ever completely going away.
0: Well, I mean, I think just like we always need ghosts, we always need haunted locations. Uh, because we, we have to feel like there's always going to be that connection to the past. I think it's, it's something that is, you know, psychological and even subconsciously soothing to us to think that there are still those who hang around in, in certain locations where you can reach out and connect those. And we like to think that we make that same kind of lasting impact on the places that we're a part of when we're alive.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, if you look at trends, um, and this is just going by what come across as, come across as my wire, people who approach us uh, to be on the show, the haunted location book is replacing the haunted area. Like it's no longer haunted Boston or haunted um, New Bedford. It seems to be more here is this experience uh, in my house. And that's probably, you know, if we had uh, uh, Dr. Pulliam back, it's probably... The, the, the hugeness of the movies that focus on one single case and and things like the conjuring and Annabelle um, but it, it's the, I think that part of that medium has changed and I'm getting a lot more of the here's this one family's quest to get rid of their demonic ghost thing as opposed to like here's all here's an, here's an area that you know very well and here are the ghost stories that come from it you know,
0: we always say, you know, like with Legend Trips, one of the taglines that we always use was, you know, come for the ghosts, stay for the history. Uh, and, and that's something that we've always kind of felt here with this show. When talking with the Wareham Historical Society prior to the the Faring Tavern event that we did last month, uh, when talking with them, I was talking with the president. And she was telling me that they just the, – the members are dying off of the Historical Society. They don't have – a next generation up that's going to come in and and start taking over the responsibility for maintaining these locations and that eventually there's going to be no historical society left to care for these buildings and then what will happen to them. And I think that, and and as I've told her all the time, push the paranormal aspect of it because that's what's going to bring in the younger generation and that's what's going to bring in people who will fall in love with these buildings and want to stay and, and want to join and want to help take care of them and help preserve them.
2: And have you found that? Like, when, when you say those kind of things, what are their reaction to it, generally?
0: Well, I mean, I know in in the case of Wareham, they, they feel very strongly of, you know, that's certainly a, a great way to explore it. And if that's what it takes to get people to sign up, you know, and, and, and basically, you know, eventually I think it's going to have to turn into, just as an aside, I'm going to have to join the Historical Society. And, uh, I mean, I've been a member in the past, but I just, I don't have the Monday nights open to go to the meetings and everything, so I didn't stick with it. But eventually I'm going to have to join and, and, and I, I guess volunteer to be one of these people that cares and maintains these buildings because somebody has to. And if you lure in people to be dedicated and to devote time to these places by saying, oh, yeah, and every once in a while, if you want to go in there on a Wednesday for a couple of hours and nobody's around, then you can go into your ghost hunt thing. You know, that might be what it takes. Look at the Lizzie Borden house. Leanne has people who are lining up to want to be tour guides in there just because they want to spend time in the house and have those experiences. Now, granted they get paid, but still, I mean, we see that in a lot of places where people are lining up to want to be volunteers just to be connected to that location. And I think that that's what you need. You need people that want to connect to it in that way in order to stick around and help, help keep them going.
2: You know, and I often wonder if it's, um, you know, if it's beneficial for these places to kind of head to their bets and say, Rather than, you know, this is our haunted history. To say this is our unusual history, or this is kind of the weird stuff that happened, and then oh, by the way, part of that weird stuff is, is hauntings. Um, you know, because I think the I think the 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 weird history factor is enough to bring in the, the younger generation, and it's oftentimes um, a lot less destructive. Not that, that the ghost part is destructive. At least it's a lot less um, stigmatizing, maybe. Um, and not only that, but it's, you know, it also webs out a lot more because if you're talking about a specific location, some of the weird history behind it, you are very specifically talking about the history. And so, you know, there's a, um, I took a, a absolutely horrible <laughs> ghost tour, uh, here in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, something, you know, it was kind of very as if, you know, I could just hit Wikipedia and then kind of do it myself. Um, But there were a few legends that he had talked about that were connected to the hauntings, and I was like, okay, well, those legends were enough to get me to kind of go home and start doing some research about, like, that time period that this legend came from. And I think that if, you know, if they kind of head to their bets and do that kind of thing, they might be able to spark people's interest, you know, and and still have that little bit of love for the paranormal and, and yet bring in people who might be otherwise, especially the younger generation, otherwise not so willing to connect.
0: Well, that sexy bastard Dave Francis in the chat room said that what he's found by working with a couple of locations is at the end of the day it comes down to, you know, what will all this haunted stuff do for my bottom line? And I think if we could almost reverse the process and instead of going to the places, uh, the people who are in charge of these places and saying, I think we could raise some money for you if we do this. If we could come at them, you know, with a spreadsheet or with case studies and say to them, like, look. I can guarantee you that if you let us come in here and do some of this ghost stuff here, we can increase your revenue an extra five, ten thousand dollars a year. I think that would make a huge difference. The problem is is so much of it is just a crapshoot is if you can get the interest. I mean some some years we put on events at the Faring Tavern and we get tons of people signing up and, and sometimes we only get a handful of people signing up. I mean, uh until a place unfortunately has a paranormal history it's hard to get people in there. So it's a catch 22. If you want to utilize that, you know, you have to put yourself out there to be able to make that revenue.
2: Yeah. I mean, I found you know, a similar thing when I was, um, doing research on Fort Adams, because I wanted to know whether Fort Adams had a haunted history. You know, I wanted it to be there. Um, and they do nothing to promote any of the paranormal, um, that exists there. They, you know, will promote some of the weird history that's happened and some like, well, here's all these great historic things that kind of uh, came around the fort and here's how the fort was was uh, was played in that. I called it, you know, Fort Inconsequential because it was a, a lot of the stories have to do with like, here's this thing that almost happened here. Um, but then when you get deeper into it and you actually talk to people who work there, some people who work the Halloween stuff that's going on, um, or people who just take the tours and they're like, yeah, no, we've seen stuff in the rat tunnels. Like, we've seen stuff here. We've seen these things every once in a while. Like, there was a fire there, and it. And so the stories come out, and so you know maybe it's time just for people to to start promoting, um, you know, the creepiness or potential factor. Because then when you get dig dig deep into it, you actually find that people have had experiences.
0: But then they forget, though. Excuse me. They 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 forget that when. Uh, they do start bringing this in. You know, there's a, a way to do it where it's effective and there's a way to do it where it's, I don't want to say cheesy, but there's a way to do it where it's going to not be as effective. For example, you know, you mentioned Fort Adams. They have the, 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 the ghost tours that are run there now and they do that, but they weren't keen on letting other people come in and do investigations, let other people come in and run events in a different fashion. I think now that's kind of changed though, because they realize that you can only do the ghost tour so many times. And, right. and, you know, like a place like Slater Mill has a perfect balance of that. They have the ongoing ghost tours all the time people go, but they also let people go in and do investigations as well. And I think that that helps kind of keep fostering the idea that this place is haunted and keep fostering more of these experiences people don't want to go and have for themselves.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much, you know, attention goes to the location and how much location goes, how attention goes to the people who do the investigating. I mean, do you, what, what do you see in terms of like, when, when people are going in and they're promoting a certain location that they've been able to investigate, does it coming off as promoting themselves more or the, or the location?
0: Um, I mean, it depends, I think, on, uh, I mean, it depends on the personalities of the people involved and, and how they choose to do it. I mean, and what they're, and what the reason is that they're in it for. The biggest problem I have, and, and I hate this more than anything, is the people who, the groups that control a location. Mm -hmm. The, the paranormal groups who have, you know, claimed territory, claimed dibs on a certain location. Because not only is it obnoxious that you've done that, I think it's also doing a disservice to the research to say that only one attitude and one approach is going to be utilized in the documentation of what's going on there. And, right. And it does. And I understand that sometimes there's great people who are involved in the location and they're willing to open their doors and open their minds for other people to come in. But what I see more often than not is somebody becomes controlling of it and somebody becomes dictatorial around it, and it just turns into a bad negative experience for everybody.
2: Well and I think even if they have the best intentions and the best approach and they're really great people, you're still only getting one set of eyes. And I guess that kind of circles out <laughs> to the complete thing, which is what is the responsibility of the location? You know, if, if if I'm an investigator and I have kind of you know, some kind of intellectual property type rights to this place, um, do I have the obligation to share that as well? Like forget the location. If I'm the exclusive of the investigators, like do I do I have to care enough about the quote unquote field or, you know, advancing research to the point where it's like, well, I want other people to see this so I can get different viewpoints. Um, which is, you know, a different kind of question, but it's still kind of intriguing. Like, do investigators who kind of have exclusive rights do they have to share?
0: Well, I mean part of the problem is that the the people who are involved in these running those locations don't understand the world that we work in and they don't understand how it all works so when they have somebody that comes up and says hey I'm willing to take all that on for you I'm willing to be the person that can handle all that and booking who can come in and who can't and, and overseeing all that side of thing and controlling the flow of information on that I'll be more than happy to help that for a lot of these locations, they're kind of overwhelmed by that aspect of things. And they're like, sure, that'd be great. I mean, I actually got asked by a location to kind of be the the paranormal vanguard, and I I refused because I said I'm not going to be the person that ultimately makes that decision as to whether or not somebody can get in because, for one thing, there's a lot of people that I wouldn't let in based on what I've seen or what I've heard. And and I would have to kind of vet that group out and, and see how I feel about whether or not they should be allowed in um but, but at the same time, too, the minute you tell somebody no, it becomes, well, he runs events there, so he doesn't want anybody else to have the,
2: the opportunity to get in there. Or they're trying well, to I'm pull something. To the fact that what makes you the ultimate judge? like right. What makes you the great judge of a person? I've seen some of your friends.
0: I know. You're one of them. So what does that say? I, mean,
2: I know. I wouldn't trust anyone who
0: has me on their speed dial. But that's but but that's part of the, the, the problem, though, is, too, is, like, even if I was the one that's making that decision, I'm only making basing that decision on what i've heard or read or seen about these people and i don't know who was putting out these reports i don't know what kind of dramatic dynamic was involved in that stuff being put out on the internet so it's just too difficult to get into all of that i think if you're going to let one in you kind of have to work with others and be willing to let them in but then again at the same time you have no responsibility to you have no obligation to right
2: i i just you know i know that there have, been, there have been times where I have looked down on someone basically because someone who I respect told me that's someone to not respect. Right. Um, and sometimes I've been proven right, and sometimes I've been proven wrong with that. Um, and so, yeah, like I think you would have to, if you're going to let it open, let it open to everybody. But you don't have the obligation. You know what I'm saying? You don't have – there's no law that you could create, you know, the, the paranormal – Um, Exposure Act or something like that, which would demand it. It's just kind of the right thing to do.
0: It's almost like there should be, you know, we've had this talk before, we've had this discussion before, but, you know, it's almost like you need to have, um, and other people have tried to start this, but like a database of who these people are. Uh, at the very least, just because you want to make sure you're not letting criminals into your location. You don't, you don't, we see all these stories. You, you've documented them all in the past. You know, if somebody joins a paranormal team, nobody realizes they had uh, a history of sexual assault or they had a history of burglary and you're going into people's houses and trusting these people around family members of of the the location or trusting them to be around valuables that are left in the home and the homeowner isn't, isn't there. I mean, there's all these little ins and outs of everything and there's, there's, when you look at it, there's really nothing more invasive than a paranormal investigation.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, really, like if you, if the plumber comes in, the plumber's just working on the bathroom sink. If the exterminator's coming in, he's just going to where you've seen the ants, you know, but a paranormal investigator's like, all right, I need you to leave for eight hours and just let me have a right, house to right. myself. And that's,
2: and that's the plumber doesn't say, okay, leave the house and I will do my work. And when I'm done, you come back like that's, you know, it, it, that is probably the most evasive place, which I, you know, once again, sometimes have issues with that aspect of, of people investigating as well. That uh, Let me rephrase. I have a major problem with that aspect of people investigating as well. Uh,
0: but what can you do about that? You know, because that's kind of the way that it's been set up where people think that's the way that it has to be.
2: Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's education. It's like, where are they getting their information from? I've never had a family leave when I've been in their house.
0: I I would be terrified to have a family leave.
2: You know, if if anything, you know, I say, okay, well, you guys come down, be down there. You know, don't don't uh, don't turn the TV on or stuff like that. If you guys can just relax, or you know, even parts of like make your uh, the people that you're going with, the team that you're going with, large enough that someone can be conducting an interview with them while someone else is looking at different parts of the house. See, I mean, I... but. Asking the family to leave to me seems t- totally inappropriate.
0: See, what I like to do is, uh, not that I do a lot of private residential stuff, I usually pass that off to other people. But what I would want to do is I would want to have, you know, okay, fine, you know, there's eight people living in this house, I want seven of them out of here. But I want one person sticking around and I want that person involved in the investigation.
2: Right. I mean, how do you no, know I agree. too that I th-
0: agree. It's, it could be attached to those people that are no longer, that have left the location and all that kind of stuff gets into all that? Wow. I mean, I've had,
2: you know, which I think is appropriate, like the children be somewhere else um, sure. at the time that I'm in there. But, um, you know, I, not to, you know, if anything, for just the mere fact of, like, hey, look at this. You can now physically see this is what actually might be causing this. It has no paranormal aspect to it whatsoever. And here's what's causing it. I can physically show it to you as we're going.
0: I do also feel, though, that, uh, In in some ways, it's good to have someone willing to hold the hand of of somebody that's in charge of one of these locations. It's good to have somebody that they can rely on that can help them navigate this world without being controlling and, and can help them do it in a way that's the most effective because I think more often than not, if they just decide, hey, my place is haunted and I want to let people in, it causes a lot of people who would be interested in that to be skeptical. Because, oh, now all of a sudden your place is haunted? How come I've never heard of this before?
2: Right. You know, and that used to be uh, the first thing I would look for is, uh, hey, let's conduct the interview in your living room. Um, not just because it's a warm place, but that's usually where people keep their books. Um, that in their wow. bedrooms. And so I would just, you know, as we were talking, like glancing around, like how many paranormal books do they have? If their Jeff Beamer collection was too big, I would start to get skeptical.
0: Right. Yep. Understandable. You're looking if at my this
2: book collection was there? Either they were insane, or you know they were somehow obsessed with me, which never happened, by the way. But you know it would have been a, that kind of situation. You know, so it, you know, it is. You know, and I think that all those things are fine if, as an investigator, you are thinking okay, I'm going to factor this in. This is, as I'm figuring out the mathematical equation of what might be happening here, I have to make that a variable that these people love the paranormal.
0: Right, and I actually would kind of use that as almost like a shutoff to some degree. Uh, you know, when I'm looking for places, for locations for some of these TV shows, I will get emails or, or Facebook messages from people that start with, well, I contacted ghost hunters about this and this show and this show, and none of them got back to me. You know, well, that... To me, as far as I'm concerned, more often than not, that means somebody else already did the work for me. You know? You're nuts. Right. I'm not going to your house. We're not going to your place.
2: Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, it, and it's, uh, um, it's, it, it's very difficult dealing with families, and it's very difficult dealing with the emotions of that. And, um, when people start to, you know, submerge themselves in paranormal culture, um, they tend to see the paranormal in everything. Um, and it's one of those things where, and I've been a victim of this, and sometimes I've ridden that wave and sometimes I've not, they start to see signs all over the place. Oh, yeah. Um, and sometimes that's the best thing you can do for them is to meet with them and talk with them. You know, And I think that um, one of the things that I've gotten from investigators, maybe not so much the last couple of years, but you know, maybe the, the 10 years before now, um, kind of leading up, uh, has been that they go in and they investigate, like, on the very first night. Um, and that's one of those things where, you know, I'm very, very much against that. Um, you know, the first night should be an interview. First night should be a conversation with them. And an and, you know, investigation may come from that. Like, you may start looking at places. But I think, I think for a while people were getting away from that. And they were like, nope, I don't want to know anything about the house. I don't know anything. I want to go do my stuff first. Right, and I see a, a, a relevancy to that, but I really can't condone that kind of practice. Like I really think you should have an interview in the house with the people, uh, before you actually go, and you know take all your equipment out.
0: Is it possible, though, that, you know, as as we see some of these places, um, embrace this? Can there be an oversaturation of it where? All of a sudden, every historic location is haunted? Every heritage museum has a, a, a paranormal night or a ghost tour? Will, would there be too much?
2: Um, I mean, I think there's a, a, um, there's a chance of if you have, you know, 27 ghost tours running through New Bedford, that would be an oversaturation. But if you were to have a, a ghost tour in a haunted location in every town, that would be different because it is actually, you know, somewhat different than the next one, than the next one. So I, I don't fear that kind of oversaturation. What I fear is, you know, some place like um, uh, the Keys, for example. The Keys at one point had like five different paranormal tours that were all doing the same exact stuff. Um, and what it became was more of how can we beat that other group, that other tour to get the money as opposed to, like, let's put on the best tour. It was more of, like, how can we tear them down or attack them or, you know. And then you start getting um, people sensationalizing things that they shouldn't necessarily only because they have rights to that part of the tour.
0: I'm going to throw this question at you just because it came up in the chat room from Corey. Corey's a Bigfoot researcher, and Corey wrote, In Bigfoot research, the first thing I do is look at the person making the claim oftentimes I can discount what they're saying because of who they are. And I, I just responded back to that. I think, isn't that a little bit closed-minded um, to kind of make a, a, a snap judgment on somebody based on that? Because I know that I've done that in the past. You know, just it's, it's human nature. Uh, but sometimes I've, I've fought through that and been surprised by what comes about from getting past it.
2: Um, once again, I'm not sure if I would stop. I'm not sure if I would stop the interview or I would stop looking into it based on who made the claim, but I would definitely make it a factor. You know, I'm so saying I would make it a variable and like, okay, this may not be something because of this factor, but I'm going to still follow up on it.
0: I mean, I'm I'm sure that you know Corey doesn't mean just you know like a spot judgment. I'm I'm sure it's something a little bit deeper than that. But I mean, you can look at somebody and when when somebody comes at me and says, okay, well, just let me put this out before we get too much into the discussion, I've been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, but that doesn't mean that I'm not seeing ghosts. And that may be true, but it also means that it's going to be way more work and way more um, skill than I have to be able to differentiate between the two.
2: Right. And that's where your job as an investigator begins then. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's it's you have to understand that that's the situation to go forward. And then, of course, the reverse of that is, you know, the, the theory that those who have... Um, mental disorders um, and are having psychological issues actually are more connected to the paranormal because um, blinders that they may have are removed, you know? And so you talk to someone like Jackie Barrett, um, and she, you know, claims, we know so many of those people are actually seeing things. It's just, like, their eyes are being opened because either, A, there's some um, blinder that has been taken away or B the drugs that they're on actually have taken them to a different level of understanding, which is both scary. And then also, um, kind of makes sense though, you know, uh,
0: it does. But I mean, uh, also, I mean, there's, there's times when you can look at people like you were saying, you know, you're looking at their the library that they have, you're looking at their interest level and you're saying to yourself, I think that it's entirely possible and it's entirely, Plausible that I'm just here because they want somebody to listen. You know, they want they they want to have somebody to to kind of validate their interests, to kind of right. support their. I don't want to say delusions, but kind of just support their quest to want to be connected to this world.
2: Right. Um, you know, and, and it's uh, it used to be, um, and I followed this for years the charles robinson idea of like just you know if i publish this your name's not going in it um i'm gonna give you a fake name i'm gonna make a location not your real location i'm gonna put layers that kind of hide things um you know and then that holds its own for the for the documentary that holds its own weight because sometimes that you then get accused of faking things and inventing stories so it's it's, I, you know, I, I got away from that to some degree, um, but I still think it's, it's it's a really good first layer of like just so you know, anything that I do, I'm not going to be publish, publishing, publicizing who you are, as I'm publicizing the case itself. Well, uh, certainly, and oh, sorry. there are people who at that point will stop the conversation.
0: Oh, sure, yeah, because you're not feeding into the feeding into it. So
2: right, so that's even a better probable test than like you know actually discredit them
0: completely based on their background. Well, um, certainly there's a lot more to discuss on that, and we invite everybody to comment and share their thoughts and feelings. Uh we'll we'll take your thoughts and feelings uh on social media using the hashtag spooky live. You can also call in if you want, 508-996-0500. But before before we run out of time, Chris, there is another topic that I want to jump into and I want to cover tonight. Because there's something going on out there. There's something happening. It's creeping me out, man. <laughs> I'm also totally getting this. This We're not getting any revenue from this ad on YouTube because I'm playing licensed music. But it seems like we're hearing more and more reports over the last couple of weeks of something that I know is near and dear to your heart, something that you've been researching for a long time. Yes,
2: it is.
0: <laughs> the killer clowns are among us, Chris Balzano.
2: And they're, and they're continuing to look for your children.
0: And what what can we do about this? There's clowns that were spotted in New Hampshire, they were spotted in South Carolina, spotted in Minnesota... What is going on? What what's happening here?
2: Well, I mean I think that I think that you can take it as in um, you know two different okay, so the first thing you can say is, is this some kind of uh promotion? You know, is this something that is being used to um, advertising in a lot of free press or something? Um, You know that's the the first thing I always jump to when I see a cluster of these. Um, and of course, you have the new Rob Zombie movie, Um, which came out this week. And so, you know, there are some what, what's people that out there.
0: I'm, I'm not familiar. What what is it?
2: <laughs> well, it's it's called what is it called? Thirty One. It's about a group of clowns who go on a murderous rampage. Ah. Um, and so. Some people are saying, like, you know, all this is happening because they're promoting that, and every time now that, you know, anyone just spreads this stuff and uses the hashtag, uh, you know, creepy clowns or scary clowns or that, you know, Rob Zombie is also using those same hashtags, that same social media vein to publicize the movie. So this is all just viral marketing? That's what some people are putting forth. Now, I'm not sure how accurate that might be considering the fact that, you know, you're from Massachusetts. You're into horror, and you didn't even know he had a movie coming out.
0: Yeah, but wouldn't these reports be a way to kind of get that on people's minds before they even, re- you know what I mean? Like sure. I, 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 I just thought we were under attack by killer clowns from outer space. This is way more awesome.
2: Um, except for the fact that the movie's been out for, you know, five days now. So. <laughs> but these reports. But how much of an impact it had on the uh, the box office. So. No,
0: but I don't know if it's necessarily the – I don't know if it's to draw people out to the theater to see the movie. I mean, those days are gone anyway, I think, for the most part, for a lot of smaller films. But I, I think just to, to have that awareness and to have it be in people's minds. If, I mean, right. if, and if you're Rob Zombie, like, wouldn't you want to screw with people? Isn't that kind of like – wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to kind of create this um, – urban legend situation, whether your movie was going to be a hit or not. I mean, it's just, it seems like it's right up his alley.
2: Well, he's never had big box office openings, and so I'm not sure if he's consumed with that. Right. Um, but there is kind of a, you know, it's, it's the, the reverse um, in terms of a movie like that comes out and then the clowns appear. Um, so when, when it happens and it's that close, you have to kind of wonder, is something going on um, with marketing? Because it, but then you know, you look at it and you say, you know, it hasn't necessarily been in locations or enough that it's hit and been connected. Um, In other words, are you really doing your best to promote things in, you know, South Carolina or Ohio? Um, And I think back to what was it the, the 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 show on Comedy Central that that was putting those things around Boston that they thought they were bombs. Oh, uh, Aqua Team Hunger Force? Aqua Team Hunger Force. Well, that was a major market for them for that show because, you know, it, it, it's a it's a, it's a show that was targeted towards college people, and Boston is a college town. And so it made some sense to have the marketing happen there. Um, I'm not sure if it's, it's, it's as smart a marketing idea to have it in these somewhat random locations, except for the fact that it has, you know, to some degree ignited the creepy clown phenomenon again.
0: I mean, part of it, though, is uh it's the way that it's done. You know, if, if you wanted to be Rob Zombie and, and put this out as marketing for your movie, you would want to have – uh, a scary-looking clown just sitting on a park bench in plain view of everybody, and the stories, especially the ones that are coming out of South Carolina, is that these clowns are coming out of the woods. They're trying to lure kids into the woods. Uh, in one case, a 14-year-old boy was heading to a school bus stop, and he told police he was chased by a black-clad man armed with a knife while wearing a clown mask. So this doesn't sound like something that would be, um, you know, just movie marketing because it's it's too it's too dangerous, it's too scary, and it's too over the top. So maybe it's also the possibility that somebody's jumping on this opportunity to kind of play out their own sick, twisted fantasies.
2: You know, and I think that um, you also have to take into account that over the past month we've gotten a lot of fan art and a lot of concept art coming out of the new It movie. Um, and so that kind of, you know, that kind of to mold the, the way that someone who is, um, creepy is going to approach the world. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I continue to get emails, even though, you know, like my exposure to the world is not like my, you know, digital footprint is nowhere near what it used to be. I still get emails from people who want to talk about no my best friend really was kidnapped during the, during the creepy clown era of the, of the early eighties. Like, no, like my friend was physically attacked. This one, uh, my sister was pulled into a van or someone I knew was pulled into a van. And it's like, well, everything that you're telling me, I understand that it's, you know, it's, you're, you're saying it passionately and all these things, but there's literally no police report that says that that happened. Um, and so I wonder if kind of in the same way, you know, these reports are coming out and people are saying that stuff is maybe more intense than it is, and all they're really experiencing is the actual creepiness of it. And then, of course, the other part of that is that kind of thing is so popular that someone who is going to uh, – someone who's unstable might take the persona of a clown. Um, and you can go and, and just search. I, mean, I think Lauren Coleman's an excellent source for this. You know, he was tracking um he's been tracking uh crimes that involve people who are dressed as clowns for years. Um, you know, whether it's uh what are they, the jiggalos jiggalos I'm getting it I'm mispronouncing uh, the, it, but it's the fans <laughs> of insane clown pop Right scene.
0: now all of our juggalo fan base is cursing your name right now, Chris. I, 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 you have been disinvited to the gathering this year, just so you know. <laughs>
2: Where is that going to be held? Detroit this year, I think.
0: Um, Don't they they hold it like out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I I think they do. I don't know, but Ric Flair goes, so it must be cool.
2: Does he really? Oh yeah. Well, then, then far be it for me to to attack them. Um, But you know, and it's and it's oddly enough, it's not a an American thing exclusively. Um, You know, we've had we obviously had the shooter in in Colorado as well as well as you know. these things ignite <clears throat> I'm sorry these things ignite um, people who are already kind of unstable um, that being said it's not the easiest way to, to abduct a kid to be that brightly dressed you know I mean to be that obvious like that's not really the mo and if you're saying well like they can lure people in that way because I don't know too many kids who are compelled to follow a clown. I think that there are easier ways to take kids if, you, if your goal was really and truly to take kids. I think between It, between Rob Zombie, between two different movies this summer featuring the Joker, um, that these clowns and kind of the, the creepiness that goes with them and the, the the psychotic nature of them and this kind of fascination with, Crimes that involve people who are wearing this kind of paint—I think that you know—it's it's at a fever pitch, and I think the people that are doing this are more looking for attention than genuinely trying to hurt anyone.
0: I mean, it does—it—it it, it strikes a chord in everybody. I mean, everybody has a fear. Clown will me,
1: can't sleep. Clown will eat me, can't sleep. Clown will eat me. Can't can't Every- <laughs> <can't> <laughs> eat me. Can't
0: everybody has see. a fear of clowns, can't I think, to some degree, uh, and I—I I think that we. You know, we 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 kind of want to be scared by them, uh, yeah. e- e- so that even if we see somebody dressed as a clown, you know, we're going to perceive it as being a scary clown, even when that might not be the intention.
2: Right. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if people who like clowns like that. You know, I mean, I think it's, and I think to some degree it's a dying art, um, and you know, that's not a bad thing. Um, but you know, I also have to say that in the past year, I've had more students, uh, in middle school who know of the, the statue of the clown urban legend. Um, you know that, well, that was really nice of you. Like, why would you put there? Not really. nice. Of you, why would you put a statue of a clown in my bedroom? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, there is, I didn't put a statue or when It's a, you know, and it's actually some creepy dude who's been like, Hey, on their room. Um, like, I've heard more kids, you know, ask me or approach me whether that story is true in the past year than probably the five or six years before that. Hmm. So I do think that it's, it's it, these people who are um, being seen are um, feeding off of that fever pitch. That said, I don't think that there's anything that we have to worry about with clowns taking our children.
0: At least not until they go out and they, they buy a
2: white van. Well, I think that was a prerequisite. If you are dressing up as a clown, you better own a white van. I'm a little
0: bit terrified to think that, um, you know, that this could create the opportunity for some sicko to jump on this, even if it's, even if it's nothing, even if it is viral marketing for a movie, or even if it is just one stupid report begat another stupid report begat another stupid report, that maybe this is, Nothing, you know, we're making something out of nothing, but somebody's going to jump on board with this and somebody's going to take it too far.
2: Um, I mean, I would be, I would be frightened of someone taking it too far and not meaning to, but I, I I'm going to hold fast to like, I don't think that if my, if my goal is to take a child, if my goal is to lure a child, I am not dressing up as a clown. I am not, um, just because, in addition to all these stories coming out, so it would be the worst thing. Like when there are reports of people in red cars. If I am a criminal, I don't get a red car. Um, and I think even the people who are unstable. And I worked with with I worked with um, teenagers who, you know, their focus was to get people who are teenager or younger like to to, to hurt them um, in those kind of ways. And having conversations with them about how they would go about things, like, I would say, you're not, you should never be let out of jail. But that said, I'm, you know, they they were smart enough to know how to, for a long time, not get caught, regardless of their sickness. And so I I don't think that, I don't think that that would be the best way to go. Like, if everyone is driving a red van, if everyone's driving a white van, you drive a black van. If everyone's dressed up as a clown, you're dressed up as nice as you could possibly be in a suit.
0: You know, I mean, if you look at clown history, um, if you look at, say, you know, 1955, you know, little Georgie Denbrough would have had no problem, you know, interacting with a clown he saw hanging out in the sewer because people just had a different approach to clowns then. There's a, There's a different trepidation now. That kids would have for clowns, I, I would. I can't think of any kid that would be like, "Oh, look a clown in the woods! I want to go see the clown." You know, I right. think that they would just naturally be afraid. Do Do we go back to Gacy as kind of the the turning point of when people became afraid of clowns in in general?
2: Well, I mean, I we think we can go back to that clown scare, um, and it's been my theory for years that that clown scare was caused by Gacy. Right. Um, and so. I would definitely connect those two, and I and I think that, you know, it has. I think that we don't live in that culture anymore. Like clowns used to be big and huge, and there was a clown on TV who you watched every week. And if you were our age, you watched him every day because it was on reruns. And there was right. a, there was a familiarity with that, and there was a calmness about it um, that just doesn't exist anymore. And I think part of that has to do with people maybe because of the stigma not continuing the tradition of it as well. Like, if everyone's going to hate you, why would you dedicate your life to this study? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I can take it back to Gacy. I mean, not Gacy in particular. I don't think people um, saw his clown or associated the clown with him and then therefore they stopped licking clowns. But I think that he was the spark of all of those reports that eventually really led to tainting them.
0: I mean, there has been kind of a a long history of clowns being, I'll say, ingratiated into our lives in a way that, you know, you don't even think of them as being clowns. Like, you know, Bozo, as you were referencing before, you know, uh, we had we the Larry Harmon version of, of Bozo here in Boston, growing up here in New England, and, you know, it's almost like he superseded the makeup and and Ronald McDonald you, you sometimes even forget that Ronald McDonald is a clown you know because right. it becomes such a part of the the character that you don't even realize that uh and i think that that is also you know those those are kind of friendlier versions of an actual cl- if you go out and see a circus a traditional circus and see a traditional circus clown you know they're they're usually not to be trusted anyway <laughs>
2: No, well, I agree. And if you, I mean, and I think that Ronald McDonald's a great example, because if you just kind of line up the last 40 years of Ronald McDonald's and Ronald McDonald's spots, whether it be animation or whether it be live action in the commercials, um, to, not to mention the fact that I've, I haven't seen a Ronald McDonald physically in a McDonald's. Oh, you, I don't think you ever will again. No, for, since I was a kid but the Ronald McDonald himself has moved away. Like the shoes are no longer big. The outfit's no longer biggy and bulky. The guys are skinnier. they their The makeup is more subdued. And so even like you can't kill uh, a great trademark like that. Um, but he has evolved to the point where, like you're saying, you forget that he's a clown and he's just Ronald McDonald.
0: You know, the, uh, the, the Ronald McDonald that we grew up with, um, the one that would have been on the TV commercials when we were kids, Uh, I believe if I remember the story right, he came to the Plymouth McDonald's when they had done a refurbishing when I was a kid and I lived in Plymouth. And the actual television actor who played him in the commercials came to the Plymouth McDonald's. And people said that he was kind of a an odd guy. I didn't go, even though I lived right down the street. I didn't go there. But the the kids who were talking about the next day in school were saying, like, he just seemed really weird. And I think that that's kind of, I think that's par for the course. We think of clowns as being portrayed by weird people, but maybe people become weird from portraying a clown.
2: You know, this is going to sound really silly, but, um, you know, I was, I worked for Chuck E. Cheese. That was, like, my first, like, official job job, like my senior year of high school. And I was a game technician, and I learned how to fix all the games and get out the jams and everything like that. And one night a friend of mine said, like, I need you to be Chucky just for just for this one performance. Because I got a blah blah I was like, okay. And I had been the other performers before and you know, um, my specialty because of my girth was Mr. Munch. And um when I was Chucky, there was this incredible feeling that sounds really, really cheesy, but wow, cheesy, huh? <laughs> that um everyone loved me, you know. And it wasn't me. They couldn't see me at all, just like you can't see who a clown really is. And I think that, um, there becomes a disassociation with who you really are when you play a part like that. And it's easier if, like, no, I'm known as Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you go to cons and stuff like that, because you're still you. You're still, you don't dress like Willow, and Willow's not that. Different from your average person, like it's still Alyssa Hannigan, right? But like when you're a clown, and the, the love is being, or hate or fear is being bestowed on that character, all of a sudden that starts to gnaw at you a little bit more because you're 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 finding it hard to separate that person from the the person that other people are perceiving.
0: So I want to blow your mind a little bit here with some Ronald McDonald research. That I've been doing as we've been talking. Are you
2: ready for this? Yeah, I was rambling on so you could do some research. You
0: might actually know about this, but you might not. Um, first of all, there was a Ronald McDonald whose last name was Voorhees.
2: I did not know that.
0: Or it might be pronounced vorhis, But uh, I'm going to say Voorhees just for the sake of this. Yeah, yeah, of it's, course. It's way cooler. The Ronald McDonald, who was uh, probably at the height of some of the commercials that we remember uh, from 1985 to 1990. So I'm talking about, you know, the Do You Believe in Magic? You'll always have a friend with big red shoes. Mac, Ronald McDonald, you know, that, that version. The car guy. See, I didn't know that. That blew my mind. I did not know that it was the Toyota guy. Oh, did I just kill what you were going to say? You just did, dude. Yeah, I... Uh, the same guy that plays the Mr. Toyota in the Toyota commercials, the guy that's like, we're having a Toyotathon, come on down, and to your local Toyota dealer, that's Ronald McDonald.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on your lead there, brother. No, that's fine. I just I, I couldn't
0: believe that. I, I guess, you know, maybe I had heard that at some point. Oh, my God, somebody just mentioned Willie Whistle in the chat room. <laughs> wow. There's bringing back some memories. Willie Whistle yeah Willie Whistle was not a
2: nice clown. Willie Whistle would have taken you out into the woods yeah and and you know i do we have like a positive clown role model to to live off of i mean i, don't, I can't think of like when I think of clowns uh, the Larry Harmon bozo think of the bad ones you
0: you wouldn't you wouldn't consider the Larry Harmon bozo to be uh, a positive
1: shakes the clown.
2: I I think that that's been buried. I mean, it's it's my kids don't know that, you know. My kids. Oh, you mean today we
0: don't have a positive clown?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that we've had thirty years of of I think we've had thirty years of Rob Zombie movies, (laughs) and I think we've had, um, you know, and I and I think that there's a, a an association just with paint like that. You know, so many bad guys we have are clowns that aren't actually clowns, but they've got that same kind of persona of, like, you know, white base with makeup on top of it that I can't think of a positive clown influence that is enough to make me remember Bozo when I think of the word clown.
0: Well, I'm it's just going to play fast. a little Willie whistle, whistle here in the background. Able to do it as fast as I do. <laughs> I'm going to sure do you, well. Do you, do you remember Willie Whistle on Channel 38? I don't remember Willy Whistle oh, at all. Oh, go look it up on YouTube. Look up Willy Whistle.
1: Just watch the uh, spelling of Willy. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was actually Googling that as, <laughs> and, as, uh, as, I came up with some interesting things.
0: As soon as you look up, uh, Willy Whistle and you start watching the clip that shows up on YouTube, you're going to be like, holy crap, memory flood
2: back. You know, I am a huge 38 fan. So,
0: oh my God, ask the manager is the whole reason I even ever want to get into TV to begin with.
2: So, and you know, I I just feel sad that that doesn't really exist anymore. So, I'm looking at images right now. So, I'm hoping that I can get it at least from the images.
0: Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a clip on on, on the, <laughs> the Facebooks. Uh, I will send you. I'm going to put it. Actually, I'm going to put it right in the group message that we always have going on, just uh-huh. so that Stephanie accidentally clips on, clicks on it at 11:52 at night.
2: And that's my goal is to do anything to freak out Stephanie.
0: So, you know, you think you think being psychic, she would know better than to click on it, but she's totally going to click on it. She's going to be like, "Really, whistle? What's this all about?" And then she's going to watch and be like, "Oh my god, it's a clown who whistles when he talks." You can nightmares. So, um I can't believe there's there's no there's gotta be some sort of a clown character today for kids.
2: I don't I don't see anyone who even, you know, has the persona of a clown. You know? My, the, that, that that kids can turn to.
0: Um What's the what's the name of the clown on uh the Zach Elefanakis show?
2: Yes, because a lot of teenagers are watching that.
0: That that's actually um that's actually a good, uh, a good show. I enjoy it. I can't <laughs> think of the name of
2: it right now. But I mean, like, you know, if, the clown. even if you look at their, like, and once again, I'm talking about teenagers, like their urban legends and and, and new ones that have come up, and, um, they resemble evil clowns. You know? And so it's, it's, it's there's no way to have anything that positive enough to offset just how flipping creepy those are. Are we, are we, uh, am I allowed to swear? I'm not even sure if we're following the baseball game right
0: now. No, no, we're totally on YouTube. But uh one, one little comment about TV38 has now led to a discussion of the movie loft on, in the YouTube chat room. And you know what's going to happen if we start going down that movie loft rabbit hole.
2: No, we've gone down there before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so...
0: I, I have no problem. We, Chris and I have talked at length about how Dana Hersey, like, we want him, wanted him to, like, narrate our lives.
2: He could be more influential than my parents in my life.
0: I'm pretty sure that he is the uh, announcer for the Howie Carr show right here on WBSM. I can't be totally sure. Uh, I need to find some, some verification of that. I suppose I could just ask Taylor Cormier, right, Matt, since he works as a producer now yeah. for Howie Carr. Yeah. Um but I could just ask him if, if that's what he's doing now. Uh, he does still have his website up. Uh, he does still, uh, take bookings for voiceover work. Oh, what do you, do you think we could hire him to do the spooky South Coast voiceovers?
2: Well, I found a message recently where we were talking about, and you were like, oh, I, he's, he's not dead because I approached him to do spooky South Coast, like to do the voiceover. Yeah, that's, so a- I don't know how old that message is.
0: Right, we gotta we got to work on this. we got to make this happen. I bet you if he does do the Harvey Car Show, it's possible that we could make it happen.
2: Would that not would be like a to, dream come true? I would true? like to have him just come on and talk about, you know, what he thinks the impact of the movie loss is.
0: Oh, that would be so phenomenal. Oh, you know what it was?
2: I had a post about what was more uh, influential in the world, uh, the, the yearly showing of Shaka Zulu. Or the um, or the the, the thirty eight presentation of the Godfather every year, um, shown chronologically. And so, in part of the debate, you and I just started talking about Dana Hershey. That's what it was.
0: The for me for the movie loft for me it was always Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. The original Dirty Harry. I loved it every time that they showed it.
2: And for me, it was those Friday the Thirteenth with nothing oh, edited. Absolutely.
0: And see, we lived, We grew up at a time when you could turn on a movie at, at 2 o'clock in the morning and you were going to see the unedited version of that movie.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, that's, you know, we were talking last week and we were talking a few weeks ago with um, uh, with George Case. That's what kept going through my head was this idea of, like, you know, we are the generation that grew up seeing The Exorcist as if it were just a normal thing. You know, it wasn't this... This kind of, it wasn't, I mean, it was taboo in that we weren't supposed to be watching it, but we had easy, easy access to it, you know?
0: And people wonder why we're afraid of things like clowns.
2: Well, I know, Or why we were perpetuating it with conversations like this.
0: But that's the good thing about it is, you know, is if we keep talking about it, people will continue to be terrified of it, and we have done our jobs.
2: Yeah, like, my goal is to make everyone scared of the things that I'm scared of. <laughs> right. Just so, Please, you're going to live my nightmare
0: just so, just so that and, and now the conversation is turning, by the way, to uh, it's going right now to the creature double feature discussion. And, you know, that that's definitely a rabbit hole for us as well. We've done whole two hour shows on creature double feature.
2: I think that we've spent more time talking about creature double feature than I spent watching creature double feature.
0: And that's saying something.
2: It truly is. I and mean, that's like where I got my ideas of what horror is.
0: Well I you know we just, just got about a couple minutes left uh here in the show and and you mentioned you know you don't think there's any reason to really be afraid of these clowns. Uh what would it take for you to actually be you know what what would it take for you to actually be lured into the woods by a clown? Would it have to be you know the promise of money? Would it have to be candy? Maybe an ice cream, a puppy? What would it take for a clown to actually get you to follow him into the woods?
2: Um I guess maybe a clown would be like, hey, I have 100% proof that the paranormal is real. Because
0: <laughs> I'm going to make you a ghost right now.
2: <laughs> what would it say? It wouldn't take, and no, there's nothing that would make me. Like, there's no conversation I can have with my kids with being like, listen, if the clown says this, go with him. You know? And, and why have we not really seen any female clown reports?
0: Oh, Matt found a picture of one.
2: I mean, there is, like, you know, something androgynous about a clown, and yet they do seem, like, remarkably masculine.
0: Matt Costa, what would it take for you to follow a clown into the woods? Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you do if a stranger offers you gifts, candy, or money? You take the money. All right. <laughs> Cosmic brownies, perhaps? Oh, that uh, that might pull them in. I'll tell you what.
1: You if know, a, I'm not a big fan of, like, cotton candy or anything, so... That's how they got you in
0: Killer Clowns, right? right. With the Cotton Candy? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, it, you know what it would take for me to follow a clown in the woods? If a clown said, hey, come follow me into the woods. <laughs> I think <laughs> I would do
2: it. You would do it. You would take to that, so that. So if that clown is knocking on your door the way the reports are saying, no, you would I, answer it and invite them in.
0: No, if a clown you comes to my door, that's a different story. Answer. I said if a clown invited me into the woods with him, that's a different story. If a clown shows up in my house, all bets are off.
2: Okay, but imagine, like, your family's not home, it's just you.
0: And then I look out the window and there's a clown, like, beckoning me to follow him?
2: No, he's inviting, he's asking me to come in.
0: No, no, no clown, nobody's coming into my house. Be it clown or otherwise.
2: See, I think that's clownism.
0: It is. All clowns matter.
2: (laughs) All right,
0: that's a good way to end. it. Thank you, Chris, for joining us tonight and for sharing some insight onto this. And, and at least we can feel a little bit better tonight that the killer clowns have not landed from outer space to take over the world
2: yet. According to Chris Bolzano, therefore, if anything actually happens, feel free to sue me for money I don't have. All right, and you can say Bolzano told me it was safe. So
0: we were at times uh, we were at times eloquent, we were at times insightful, and we were at times downright goofy. All in all, a very successful YouTube only show. You don't agree?
2: No, I'm, I, I um, thought that I, was your, your your closing. No,
0: I was looking for you for validation.
2: Oh, no, I completely agree. I wish I had caught the first hour.
0: So we're going to continue to do this, and I think when the Red Sox bump us off the air, we will continue to do the YouTube-only streaming then. It seems to it be
2: working. working perfectly, and I think that you know, it's a lot easier for us to book guests if we don't have to, in the back of our minds, think, like, well, this person – I really want the full-time, and so I don't know if I want to book them on the Red Sox night.
0: Yeah, or this person isn't going to sit around and wait for the Red Sox to get over, which is also another problem that we run into.
2: Right. So I'm, I I think that this is working, and it's an experiment that has proven to be what should be the uh, order of the day.
0: It only took us ten years, ten and a half years, to figure it out. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> better late what than we, never. What we make up in quickness, we, uh, you know, we make up for, it, I don't know.
0: In quality. I stick to it in this. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. You have a great night, and we will talk to you soon. Watch out for those clowns in the woods.
2: I'm seeing watching one right now, so I'm going to go talk to it. I'll talk to you later, man. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Remember,
0: take the money. Uh, that is Chris Balzano, the show's content director. For, uh, thank you to him for joining us tonight for this discussion. Uh, we are just about out of time for tonight. However, we will be back next Saturday night with another show focusing on the paranormal. I think next next week we should be able to get on the radio waves, but, of course, we will always be uh, on the YouTube as well. On the YouTube, as the kids say, right? The kids say that? They say they on, on the YouTubes? Yep. So Just don't get your YouTube
1: said. <laughs>
0: right. If you get your YouTube side, then we can't deliver. So the show will be up uh, for you to watch in its entirety, of course. We'll also have the audio podcast out there. Uh, but we invite you to join us here live each and every Saturday night. That's what makes it more the most fun and the most interactive. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, I'm Tim, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.